Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning, and it is the Tuesday morning that uh, President Trump will be at the federal courthouse in the Southern District of Florida down in Miami, and we will be following that, of course, and expect uh, just that initial appearance and uh, reports are suggesting that he is adding to his legal team, and if you want a complete uh, legal analysis, not just political perspective that's been on the mainstream media. You can go to the JennaEllisShow.com, and I spent about 45 minutes with uh, a good friend who is a former assistant attorney general in Colorado and uh, now criminal defense attorney, and we broke it down. And also our a very good friend here in AFA general counsel, Abraham Hamilton III, uh, also had a really great analysis on his show, The Hamilton Corner, yesterday, and I would commend that to your listening. Uh, Really good analysis there. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that uh, as the news continues to unfold. We'll we'll go back, of course, to uh, some of those things. But I want to start this morning on the continued persecution, I think, of uh, conservatives in the media and the attempts by various entities, not just government, uh, to silence conservatives and truth tellers. And the uh, headline yesterday was Tucker Carlson will not be silenced. Defiant attorney for ex-Fox News host rejects network cease and desist letter demanding he pull his Twitter series that has drawn 169 million views. Uh, Tucker has now uh, put on Twitter this new Tucker on Twitter series that so far has been two episodes of about 10 minute uh, shows that are not on cable news. He's just posting this on his own social media page, but apparently, according to Fox, that is uh, still trying to silence him. This goes against his uh, employment agreement that uh, they are currently negotiating a uh, an exit from. So Pedro Gonzalez, who is our very good friend and the political editor of Chronicles Magazine, joins me this morning. And he had a really great profile of uh, Tucker Carlson in the Chronicles Magazine. And that headline is The Voice That Won't Be Silent. So good morning, Pedro. Really appreciate you joining. Good morning, Jenna. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. And, you know, you and I and, um, and, and there's, you know, of course, hundreds, if not thousands of people that uh, that share the privilege that you and I have both had to have uh, been a regular on Tucker Carlson's uh, series when he was on Fox. And I, I think that's a that's a unique club. And you you profile this really well in terms of who uh, Tucker is and and how uh, and just in your unique uh, friendship with him and how he uh, contacted you just to to come on and, and really wanted to hear from you and one of the things that I think is really fascinating about this piece and why Tucker uh, for many reasons uh, is still wildly popular is because he was willing 
to bring on guests and discuss topics that weren't necessarily uh, typical for the network. And he was willing to bring in voices that weren't necessarily just members of Congress or regular newsmakers, but covered things that were newsworthy. So as you profiled this, um, what is your impression of uh, why... Fox in particular, but um, and then there's still a kind of a cloud around his his departure and the exact reasons for that. Uh, but why the left as well is so determined to silence uh, Tucker Carlson? Because Tucker wasn't just shouting into an echo chamber like most other people on Fox, who are ultimately harmless for that reason, right? I mean, you can make fun of Hannity and all these other hosts. Um, because they're they're sort of just preaching to the choir, and, you know. Sometimes that's fine, but there's a reason why no other host really got under the skin of the left the way the Tucker did. And one of the things that I talk about in that profile is the fact that for a time there, according to Nielsen, which uh, specializes in audience measurement, Tucker's show was actually drawing more viewers of what is essentially a younger Democratic um, crowd than anything on CNN or MSNBC. And so every night you, you had basically Democrats between, I think the demographic is 25 to 45. Uh, it's, it's, this, it's, it's particularly value demographic, especially with advertisers. Um, but importantly, it's, it's a younger Democratic audience, and they were more likely to watch Tucker's show at prime time than anything else on CNN or MSNBC. And so Tucker's reaching across the aisle here. He's not just, in other words, talking to Republicans. And I would kind of anecdotally experience this when I'd go on and talk about BlackRock, you know, buying up tons of homes, or I talk about how Bill Gates is buying up arable land, or I would talk about, you know, why, uh, interventionism abroad is bad and things like that. I noticed that after the show, the people who would follow me on Twitter after seeing me, they weren't just Republicans. They were oftentimes, you know, people that were, I, I look at, because sometimes people will put, you know, where they live uh, in their Twitter bios, and it's like people in like Portland, uh, uh, pe- people on the West Coast, um, or people that indicated that they were essentially moderate Democrats, and I had never, across all the different shows I've done that with, I've never experienced that in a way that I experienced it with Tucker. And I think that's why. Uh, it, it's because he's, he's talking. That, that's why the left hates him, is because he, he's able to reach to a much broader audience um, and, and break out beyond the echo chamber. I mean, this is especially true when the war in Ukraine started. I, was, I joined him. I think for the, I think it was the first segment that he did where he had all these guests come on to, to talk about, you know, why the, the war is, is, is awful for everyone. It was, it was either the first or one of the first uh, nights that he did this, this whole thing where we, it was a full Ukraine lineup and I was, I joined him for that. And it was the same thing. Like I, I saw a bunch of essentially moderate anti-war Democrats who were agreeing with me and like sharing the clip on Twitter and, and, and following me. And I think that's why he's so dangerous. Hmm. And and that's such an important uh, demographic for news networks. But uh, but I think you're totally right that it's it's really fascinating how 
uh, that reaching across the aisle and actually talking about stories and information and topics that translate to uh, to particularly the the 25 to 45 age demographic um, aren't really siloed in the box of conservative versus leftist or right versus left media. And people wanted to hear what Tucker has to say. And I think that's why his Twitter show in particular uh, is drawing so many millions of viewers and uh, and from all sides. And Twitter has now a very unique platform with uh, with Elon Musk allowing um, long form streaming. So I stream my podcast there as well. And I'm getting, you know, tens of thousands of views uh, just from streaming on Twitter and from people who may not otherwise necessarily go to um, the Salem network because we're known as conservative. They're just they're there. And so uh, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how his show progresses there. And so far, he hasn't had any guests on. But um, what is what is your take on now how the, the Twitter platform might even be better? And I think it's actually going to be better because he's not going to be restrained by the production team and the, the EVPs and some of these people at Fox News. Yeah, it, that's certainly the hope is, is that he's ultimately able to put together a, I mean, his show is already so good, right? I mean, I, I joked about this early on that, you know, the, the programming on Tucker consisted of everything from, you know, we our sources tell us that JFK was killed by the CIA, you know, proof of uh, UFOs, uh, like hitting Zelensky and the the, uh, the pro-war bloc in the United States, um, talking about all these corporations that are basically trying to buy the land that you use to grow your food or essentially drive up the cost of real estate. And then, you know, like, what are the alternatives on Fox? Well, it's, it's Sean Hannity brings on um, um, Caitlin Bruce Jenner to talk about why Democrats are the real transphobes, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I think that without the baggage of, of Fox, uh, Tucker is going to to be better off. But it, it's also it's also it, it very clearly an uphill battle for him because there was this report Recently, that kind of just illustrates how petty the network is being. That they they basically went to Maine and dismantled the studio, and took the whole thing apart. And and so now Tucker has been essentially rebuilding his studio uh, from scratch, which I'm I'm sure that he enjoys because you know he from what, from what we've I know about him and we've spoken, he enjoys working with his hands. So I'm sure he's actually having a great time rebuilding his studio because he gets to make it the way that he wants to make it now. But basically he's kind of doing this from scratch and it, it, you have this, this kind of curious scenario where the most effective and most popular talk show host uh, or news anchor in America is essentially having to kind of like start over from scratch and fight its own network so that he can say what he wants to say. But ultimately I think it's going to pay off and, what he's going to be able to do with Twitter is going to be way more effective um, than what he was able to do with Fox because he's, yeah. like I said, he's not going to have the baggage of Fox and, and the, um, the, I guess, the, the, the guardrails of Fox. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see what he unleashes because he won't have the constraints of the producers at the network and, you know, other friends of mine who 
um, our hosts or anchors at, at Fox have voiced similar things of uh, being really constrained into topics and, and guests and so forth um, and, ha- and not really having the ability to fully control their own editorial content. And, you know, this is one of the things I love about uh, being on American Family Radio Network is that, you know, I get to pick what I want to say and bring um, stories and opinions and um, and perspective without constraints and and really within um, the the ability of a network that I get to proclaim my Christian worldview and and faith without limitation and that's so that's so wonderful um, for a network but um, but I'm speaking with Pedro Gonzalez his story is the voice that won't be silenced in uh, Chronicles magazine and um, Pedro in just the last few minutes we have here um, I, I also wanted to uh, just briefly share a story too I was watching um, the new documentary the um, the full screener of uh, the essential church movie that is the story of churches reopening uh, my former client John MacArthur Grace Community Church and it focuses on a couple of other churches and kind of this story in the midst of church history and one of the things that I wasn't expecting in this documentary um, was highlighting that Tucker Carlson was actually one of the pivotal points in bringing on uh, people who, like the the wife of James Coates um, up in Canada when he was jailed as a pastor, um, he, Tucker brought me on to talk about uh, the church being essential um, even before, um, I, I think before or, or you know during the period um, as well as as when I was representing Pastor John MacArthur. But you know these types of things that in the midst of the COVID narrative, nobody else was really willing to cover. His platform was so important and. And the documentary actually highlighted that his voice was so important to that issue. And, and, and I think that would almost come as a surprise to him because he just talks about things that he thinks are important for the rest of the world to understand. So, um, so I, just, I just think it's so fascinating. Um, but Pedro, really quickly, where can people find you, read your story? And thanks so much for coming on. You do such great work on a variety of topics. Thank you. Yeah, you can keep up with me at contra.substack.com. That's C-O-N-T-R-A dot substack.com. All right, awesome. And follow uh, him as well on Twitter. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio Network, where we will never be censored or silenced and always talk about the truth of the biblical worldview. So we'll be right back with more. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we were talking uh, briefly in the opening segment about the initial appearance of former President Trump down in Miami at a federal courthouse this afternoon. And I want to bring in uh, Representative Mike Collins, who is a Congress member from Georgia's 10th District and uh, Representative Collins, you know, this is uh, just a, a story I think that a lot of Americans uh, feel very strongly about one way or another. And I think from the political perspective, um, it's either a 
uh, love Trump and frustrated about the the weaponization of government or hate Trump and um, very kind of uh, schadenfreude gleeful. And obviously, you know, that that is not the the legal perspective. But um, but I really appreciate you joining and want to get your take on uh, how Washington and, and your fellow members of Congress are feeling about this, especially with the weaponization of government committee and uh, kind of what the tenor is there. So good morning. Good morning. Uh, the tenor is the same. It's it's the weaponization of government, and it's a prime example of it. You know, and, and I think everybody that uh, has been out there speaking on this is hitting the nail on the head. It's what we said over the weekend. You know, especially when you have a sitting president that uh, is weaponizing not only the law enforcement but the justice system uh, to go after a political opponent. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the irony of it is you're talking about a, a president who had documents and now they have found the, the, these documents that belong to Biden. And that was when he was a senator, which is the same as if I if I personally went and took classified documents and threw them out in my garage at my house in Butts County, Georgia. Uh, and it's two totally different things, but the same um Process crime, I guess, is what they're calling it. What you know, so it's a it's a glaring example of the weaponization. Yeah, and and I think that uh, that this is where so many people, myself included, um, of course, as as an American, are so frustrated to see this kind of two tiered justice system that seemed to be um, overtly targeting. Uh, conservatives and Republicans and in a wide variety of areas. I mean, not just uh, President Trump and others with some of these, as you've described them, process crimes, but, you know, parents uh, who participate in their children's school board meetings are now on, you know, FBI watch lists and pastors who who care about pro-life issues. I mean, so so this speaks to a wider um, sort of view of a two-tier justice system, and and how is Congress actually looking at addressing this legislatively? Well, I mean, it, if you've if anybody's read my statement, it's time to do some impeachments. Uh, it, it's it's time yes. to to bring Garland in. It's time to impeach that rascal. Uh, it's time to get rid of Director Ray to impeachment. We have we have got to start dismantling these these organizations at the top and uh, and cleaning house on this stuff up here. Um, because uh, they are they are destroying so much of, of what we know as America. Well, and, and Representative Collins, I mean, when President Trump himself went through uh, two impeachments that were absolutely shams that, in my view, were not constitutionally sound at their inception, and yet there is so much more uh, that is constitutional and grounds and a, a legal constitutional basis uh, to impeach uh, some of these uh, top level people within the Biden administration and and Joe Biden himself. And, you know, you posted um, a really great thing on Twitter uh, about these are the only flags I display in my office. And it's the, you know, the American flag, the Christian flag, your state flag, and yeah. don't tread on me. And to contrast that with Joe Biden, um, over the weekend, hanging the pride flag off the balcony of the White House and bringing in, you know, all of these people for like a transgender day of pride that I saw some of the TikTok videos and it, it was absolutely grotesque and, and abominable. You know, some of these people going topless to show their uh, transgender surgery or their, yeah. you know, if they're a male, they have um, you know, fake uh, breasts. I mean, it, it's it's just disgusting. And yet he's still yeah. an occupant of the White House. Yeah, you know, Jenna, I mean, first of all, I don't care if it's 
flag etiquette or whatever you call it, uh, that's not right. It was not right what they did with the flags over the weekend. But it's just and, – and you you can look back at that uh, – what I was listening to before you put me on the radio uh, about how you know people need to stand up and start fighting against this mess uh, with the transgenderists being pushed uh, through the states. But uh, we have got to uh, – we've got to start fighting back as Americans. And, uh, you know, from up here in our standpoint, when, when I'm out giving speeches – and talk to people, and they ask me, what what can we do to help? What do we need to be doing to help? We've got a good, solid House over here. We've got good, solid Republicans. I mean, we're doing some infighting right now, but uh, we need help. Uh, we've got big elections coming up. We need to make sure that we flip that Senate, and we need to make sure that we get the White House back in the Republican hands. And then uh, you can see a lot more being done to it to address these crazy issues because uh, that does not represent America, you know, and, and I don't think that uh, that uh, the gay pride movement is happy with some of this crazy transgender stuff that you see out there. Yeah, that is so true. And, and it's it's funny you bring that up, Representative Collins. Um, I actually had the opportunity uh, to talk to um, a woman out of uh, Connecticut who is a Republican comptroller. And, so she, and she's, I think, the most popular uh, Republican in the state of Connecticut uh, and, and you know, was widely elected. And she's actually going to be on uh, my podcast this afternoon. Um, you can find that at the com for listeners. And um, she is herself an open uh, lesbian, but she is saying that the LGB of the LGBTQ is is kind of being forced to go along with the TQ. Otherwise, the whole movement is is saying, you know, we're going to take away some of your uh, protections and 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 some of the equality, uh, quote unquote, that that you fought for. And her perspective, I think, was fascinating because she has the very same conservative perspective that you and I do. Uh, that that says, you know, all of this transgender, queer, gender theory nonsense is bad for society. And so it's fascinating to me to see some of the overlap between Christian conservatives and then some of these people that on other issues like homosexual marriage, for example, that they would be our opposition are now our allies in that. Are you finding that at all in maybe some of your Democrat colleagues? Yeah, well, and, and but you know, Jenna, you you take what she says. She's conservative, and she's just uh, the mindset that that people need to be left alone, and and make their decisions. Now, you take your transgender decisions. That's all coming from government and the state. They're wanting to tell you what you can do with your kids and what your kids are going to look like, or however they're going to uh, reform them. And uh, that's where the the disconnect is. Um, you know, we've, we've got a total takeover from a government standpoint on every aspect of your life. And uh, that's what's got to stand up. I, mean, I don't know of any, I don't, I'm sure there's some Democrats up here that may fall into that category of believing that. But for the most part, I don't know of anybody up here believes in that mess. Wow. And and isn't that amazing? I'm talking with uh, Representative Mike Collins from the great state of Georgia. And you mentioned um, earlier, Congressman, about um, making sure that, you know, we take back a conservative majority uh, in the Senate, expand uh, the the House majority. And what districts in particular are um, would you encourage uh, listeners to focus on and how can they truly help in that endeavor? 
Listen, all you got to do is, is look across this country and see which, which of your states are up on the Republican uh, or on for the U.S. Senate for a re-election and get involved. You know, uh, there'll be a primary on the Republican side, and you'll have an opportunity to, to help one of those candidates. You may not be able to vote for them, but uh, at least you can help them monetarily, or if you're close enough, you can go help campaign for people. You know, when I, uh, when I secured my primary election in Georgia, uh, we got out one across six states to help other people running for U.S. House uh, to hopefully win their elections. So there's there's more ways to get involved than just going and voting in your own in your own races that are there locally, and uh, and that's where we need help. We've we we've got to, we've got to push back on a lot of things, and the only way we can do that is we take the majority back in the house, uh, the Senate, gain a little bit more in this house, and by God, we take that we we're gonna win the White House, and uh, get this place back humming like a sewing machine again. Yeah, and and I I am praying for that and praying for this country. I think that 2024 is going to be an incredibly important election. And uh, you also posted yesterday um, that that you are endorsing uh, President Trump for re-election, and you had an opportunity to speak with him. Um, so, what was that conversation like, and and why at this juncture um, are you coming out and, and endorsing uh, President Trump? Well, you know, Jenna, I was. Uh... And, but back then, nobody really cared what Mike Collins had to say. It may not now, but... Uh, we do. You know, we love you on, here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was on the Trump train before he was a nominee the first time around. When he came to Georgia the very first time, and I saw him at uh, Charlie Loudermilk's house, and he began to speak and talk about things. I've always felt it was important to run his place more like a business. And, and when he just genuinely spoke... I said, man, this is the guy. This is the one I'm going to get behind. And I have never backed, never wavered from that support. And uh, so being a representative up here and having the opportunity to publicly endorse him and and, and maybe have that make uh, an impact, um, sure, I took the opportunity to go visit with him in Bedminster. One of the most pleasant conversations, uh, just down-to-earth, personable person that you'll meet and uh and 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 i think that's what i saw from 10 to 12 feet away when i was at loudermick's house back the first time around and uh still the same person and and i tell you what uh tell folks all the time man i i I am not tired of what he said we'd never get tired of doing and that's winning and right now we're losing we're losing big time and i want to get back to winning we have that opportunity, and, and, and he is the right person for me, and we are going to help him in any way we can. And and I think uh, that that message of we need to get back to winning is uh, really resonating across the country, seeing uh, what is, is going on with, uh, with the left just trying to tear down our institutions and our, uh, our churches, our families, and really impose this new woke religion um, across corporations and, uh, and, and across institutions. And, you know, you and, mentioned— And, Jenna, that's just internal. That, yeah. That's just within the country. You think about the Biden family, crime family syndicate, whatever you want to call these folks— you cannot tell me that they have not taken bribes from China. We're seeing that. China is the, num- the number one enemy to the Chinese Communist Party is the United States of America. And that's the biggest existential threat to this country. 
And uh, so we not only have internal problems within this country, like you're talking about, weaponization of government, morality problems going crazy. We've got out-of-control, out of overreaching government agencies out there that are just regulating businesses into the ground. But, uh, but we've got threats all the way around this world, and, uh, and we need to be paying attention to that. We need to be bringing our jobs back home. We need to be training our military instead of going through this woke crap agenda that they're pushing on everybody out there. We need to be training these folks how to fight, how to break things, kill people, and protect our country because mm-hmm. people are coming for us, and they're not coming yeah. to be our friends. Really, really well said. And um, Representative Collins, um, in, in just the last few minutes I have with you, so so why isn't there more of a push then from uh, the House Republicans to impeach Joe Biden? Because, I mean, there's so much that is there that I think is substantive, that has a legal basis, but also just the fact that he clearly is not competent for his job. And we see that over and over and over and more and more evidence. And so even if there was an invocation of the 25th Amendment and some of these things, I mean, they wanted to impeach President Trump and call for a competency thing. You know, if he just simply misspoke or, you know, had had his tie a little bit yeah. crooked. I mean, so yeah. where, why hasn't that yet been done in your view in Congress? Well, I think Republicans are not about knee-jerk reactions and, and looking kind of like what the Democrats look like. We'll we'll continue to investigate, get the goods, get the evidence, and push forward from there. Um, and and the other thing, Jenna, you know, and, and it's not anything less important or more important. It's like whack a mole on steroids in this place up here. Uh, every time you turn around, there's something else popping up that you're having to take aim at, and 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 maybe that's by design from the Democrat side. Uh, it could be just to keep the focus. Uh, not squarely where it needs to be uh, or should be or could be. But uh, I think that the the momentum is gaining. And uh, as we continue to collect evidence, I think there's going to be a bigger push for more people uh, like me, like Marjorie Taylor Greene out there that are that are willing to stand up and say, hey, it's time to impeach this guy. It's time to get rid of these people. Good. Well, we love her here, too. And uh, how can we best pray for you and uh, and all of the conservatives in Washington? Well, just uh, never stop. Don't cease. Um, we Lord knows we need it. Uh, you know that, uh, you know, and that's why I always say pray, pray that we can have the wisdom uh, to, to do what's right out there. And uh, not, not just the wisdom, though, because you can have wisdom and no courage. Uh, mm. You got to have the courage to stand up and do it. And, 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 you know, so we need both of those. But uh, we need to pray for the men and women that are out there protecting us, that are out there in our military, our law enforcement, that are trying to hold the rule of law. Because if we don't have the rule of law in this country, uh, we, we don't have anything. Well said. Wisdom and courage. We will be praying for that for you and all of our leaders and everyone who... Uh, has sworn an oath to preserve and protect uh, our country. So Representative Mike Collins, thank you so much as always for joining. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Welcome back. And one of the other big events today on a Tuesday is uh, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, has their annual meeting and uh, they are going to be electing um, either a new or continuing uh, with their current president who's running for another term. Uh, But one of the other things that's going on in the SBC that some of you may be aware of and should be aware of if you are not is the controversy over Rick Warren, who is the pastor of uh, Saddleback Church out in California. And there is actually going to be a vote today on um, some potential, um, I would characterize it as discipline, of uh, Rick Warren and his church for um, ordaining female pastors. And this has been a controversy, I think, you know, really since last year when this uh, whole idea has come up and they debated. Uh, My understanding um, from last year and and talking to some of the members there was that they debated over kind of the really (laughs) the definition of what is a woman, right, from uh, for for, uh, whether or not um, women can have and hold the role of pastor or uh, basically a, a an elder of a church and a member of the ecclesia and have um, the that authority in the church and obviously when we look at scripture um, in many places but um, specifically in the New Testament when uh, the qualifications of an elder or uh, someone who has authority in the church is that he has to be the husband of one wife. Well, that would, in my view, eliminate uh, women because uh, women cannot be husbands. But, you know, that's uh, that's apparently too simplistic for uh, Rick Warren, who has now gone on this kind of Twitter social media campaign and trying to suggest that um, he, he's apologizing to women and, uh, you know, for saying that he's foreclosing some of their ability to exercise their gifts in the church. So anyway, to break all of this down, I want to welcome in my very good friend, Ryan Helfenbein, who is at the SBC convention. He is the vice president of communications at Liberty University, the executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center. And Ryan, um, so your overall take on this controversy uh, there at the SBC with Rick Warren. Yeah, so Jenna, thank you so much for having me on. I, you know, I want to say for, for all the listeners who are out there, you know, many of you might be like me, uh, you know, many years ago, um, you know, I had to go back to my bookshelf and look, hey, I got the Purpose Driven Life here, you know, uh, dusted off, and uh, a great book uh, that uh, Rick Warren wrote some 20 years ago, took the, the evangelical world by storm, encouraged many, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people uh, in churches all across America to understand their God-given role and calling. And um, and, I, and I think many people were inspired by that. And so th- they looked to Rick Warren for a lot of leadership and counsel. And, and uh, the question is, is now what? You know, the year is uh, 2023. And, and the question surrounding the Southern Baptist Convention is, are we going to stand upon the Word of God or are we going to genuflect for society and for culture in order to maintain that that uh, relevance that everybody is desperate to have? And mm-hmm. uh, Rick Warren is certainly uh, advocating uh, for a confessionless denomination, a denomination that's not oriented around doctrine, that's not orient- oriented around tradition, that is not oriented around um, a, a common confession, but really just a common mission. And so he is trying to change that focus in order to allow for churches that have this egalitarian posture, churches that want to uh, ordain women for senior leadership in a church, uh, to, to maintain the, the, the um, role of pastor, 
and elder, um, and that goes right against Scripture. And and I'll say this this morning, uh, just for the listeners, because some people are thinking, you know, I go to a egalitarian church. This is a denomination that has always held this position. Uh, it is clear uh, from First Timothy chapter two, Paul's uh, admonishment to the church. Uh, for the role of women in the church. Women serve as ministers. Uh, women um, serve in many, many capacities in teaching and evangelistic ministry, but the role of pastor and elder is reserved specifically for men, and Paul is very clear about created order there and uh, why, why he does it that way. And it's not and why the church is to be constructed that way, and it's not uh, because it's lacking in equality, but it's understanding our complementarity, our design that we are we are equal, uh, but we are different in, in terms of God, how God has designed men and women. And uh, so that's that's the that is the debate right now. And certainly in America, when most people are confused about the uh, what a woman is biologically, what a man is, uh, certainly uh, that is spilled over into the church, even questioning those roles uh, in ministry. Hmm. And really well said, Ryan Helfenbein. Um, and this is so important to uh, to sufficient doctrine and the uh, mutual confession of the faith. And, um, you know, there, there may be people who are listening who are thinking, you know, why is this such a big deal? But I think that you very aptly put it that, you know, this is about the uh, divine order of authority that we um, as human beings don't have the authority to, to dictate and rebel against um, that God has clearly laid out. And, you know, this is this is not being um, in any way derogatory toward women. And as a woman, you know, I, I can certainly uh, say that that with this, you know, egalitarian view that women have to be able to do literally everything that that men do is just um, not only empirically false, uh, biologically false, but it's positionally false as well in terms of the authority structure. Um, in the church and also in the family. Um, women can't be husbands and fathers, just like men can't be wives and mothers. And that doesn't mean that we can't um, fulfill our spiritual gifts in the church and the home, but in the role and the positional authority that we undertake, and there's a measurable difference between men and women, um, that that we need to respect that delegation of authority. And this goes back, Ryan, to literally original sin. When man yeah. wanted to usurp the positional authority of God and be like God, and women cannot usurp the positional authority of how God has ordained and established his church. And so I mean, is it your sense being there at the SBC that this debate is is really kind of the, the fringe or the minority, or is this something that has crept in um, that is pervading more of the whole? Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question. There has been um, a number of articles that have come out recently. Uh, somebody uh, actually did an independent study just recently, a team of researchers going across the denomination. Now, just to, to give you an understanding of the capacity or the size of the SBC, uh, we're talking about over 14 million members. We're talking over 51,000 churches. And uh, across the denomination, I think there's something like, uh, you know, in churches across uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, about 1,800 women who are serving in some kind of pastoral role. So there has been a, a look into this, and I think that what needs to be clarified 
is the Baptist faith and message. The Baptist faith and message is our common confessional document that Southern Baptist uh, churches have used uh, and and have has been longstanding, uh, and it's a way that we understand our unity um, and our cooperation. You know, the, the Southern Baptist Convention is full of autonomous churches, so when it comes to local church governance and local church matters, they're autonomous, but when it comes to identifying and unifying as the whole, there is a standard. There's a doctrinal statement already, and it does outline the role of pastor. And what what Rick is wanting to do, and there are some others, is that he wants to say, let's let's take that away, and let's just cooperate with the same mission. And one of the things I'm reminded of, it's in, in Matthew chapter 28, it's when Jesus gives the Great Commission. He says, go ye therefore, uh, and he, he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We cannot have a commission without an actual understanding of what it is to obey everything that Christ has commanded. So if you don't have doctrine, if you don't have a common confession, you really don't have a Great Commission unity in the in the mission of the church that's mm. that's what it all comes down to and i do believe jenna as as so many times you've observed on your show i do think that this is part again of the cultural confusion spilling over into the church people questioning things they didn't ever have to question before but now they're actually having to think more um succinctly and clearly about what all this stuff means and why we even have a denomination called the Southern Baptist Convention in the first place. Yeah, and, and I'm speaking with Ryan Helfenbein, who is executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center and vice president of communications at Liberty University, and uh, they're at the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's so true, Ryan, that, you know, as we are confused in culture and confused in what should be our uh, civil polity and our, our unity in terms of this great American experiment, I mean, we had, before we the people, we had this unanimous declaration, right, that we all understood that as Americans, we were going to join on a common mission, which is to provide that the role of government is to preserve and protect the rights that we understand are from God, our creator. And we, we then all set out kind of on, on this co-mission and, and, where we've seen the breakdown in civil society has been very similar to what you're describing in the church and the SBC convention that as people just want to tolerate each other and you know we all see the coexist bumper stickers and they say yeah. you know oh well we can all have totally differences of opinions we can have completely different worldviews but somehow coexist in a society where somebody thinks that you know we shouldn't have any criminal justice enforcement defund the police and you know, that kind of extreme versus is, you know, people who say, well, wait a minute, the rule of law still matters. And when we see all of this chaos and confusion in civil society that is not of God, and we are even more, we are seeing chaos and confusion that is coming out of the culture and into the church and the church more than any other uh, sphere that God has ordained. I mean, hopefully the family that there's some clarity from uh, from fathers, but um, and, and husbands, but in the church, that should be the one place where, of course, we have unity of sound doctrine, and and of course, you know, these fundamental things. I mean, we can debate some of the ancillary tertiary issues, but but mm -hmm. the basics of doctrine of you know, who, who has a positional authority in the church. I mean, these are s such essentials that are now being debated. It's, it's honestly really scary for the church, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think it it, it robs the church when you rob a church of its doctrine, of its authority uh, coming from God's word. Ultimately, you rob it of its power, and that is the most important thing. When we declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do so with the authority of God's word, and we do so in obedience. To His Word, and when we strip that out, uh, we we basically are not liberating ourselves so that we can become free in order to do it better. Actually, what ends up happening is we rob the gospel mission and the gospel message of its power. So mm. I, I look at this, and I'll just say, I have egalitarian friends out there, non-Southern Baptists. Uh, I, I have. Uh, friends who are pastors of churches, where they have, you know, uh, w- women who are in uh, various roles. Um, I-, I disagree with them. I respect them. I love them. Um, but I will just say that there is a reason why we have denominations. There's a reason why we have common confessions. And many people might disagree on this issue. And if we disagree, I- I- I'm going to stand in the position and say, you are wrong, not because I say I'm right, but because the Scripture says so. But we we are not going to identify in the same church, and we're not going to identify ourselves as a part of the same denomination. So doctrinal um, differences are important. A lot of mm-hmm. times people want to hollow out those distinctions because they prize unity more than truth. But there is a reason why we have doctrinal distinctives. And uh, they're put there in place, and I think that they're very helpful. And so I respect Lutherans and Presbyterians and Baptists uh, and Catholics, and I also respect the theological differences, and that's important. Those distinctions uh, should never be steamed, steamrolled over. Um, so the Southern Baptist Convention has a long-standing uh, confessional statement. It needs to be upheld. Um, I'm very sad to see the direction, and it's not just Rick Warren by himself. There are many, many others, but I'm sad to see this posture and this push. Uh, it is uh, absolute compromise, and you cannot have unity without truth. Mm-hmm. We must uh, seek the truth and build our unity around that truth. Absolutely, and so well said. And you know, from from a position of um, from, of Rick Warren, I mean, I I personally think that if he is so adamant that he wants to make a change in that confessional doctrine, and uh, and it's it's not like he's pointing out that. Uh, I mean, I think he's trying to that he's trying to say, you know, this is something that we have erred on in the past, but. Uh, but really, he just needs to then separate and say, well, then I don't identify as a Southern Baptist uh, anymore because I want to go a separate way. And in my view, yeah. that would be better than um, trying to undermine the whole Southern Baptist Convention. But um, but but Ryan, I really appreciate um, your perspectives. We will be praying uh, for the outcome today. I uh, really appreciate that. And for those you know who are listening who maybe are egalitarians and saying, well, you know, Jenna, you teach every day. You proclaim the gospel. Yes, but I don't identify as a pastor or in eldership as a member of the ecclesia. Of course, women should be promoting the gospel of Christ. We can exercise all gifts um, in every sphere of society, but we should not be taking on the role that God himself has laid out very clearly in the scripture is meant for men. So we'll be back with more tomorrow here on Jenna Ellis in the morning and make it a great day.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.